Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. That you thought I was worth saving. <laughs> I would have never looked in the mirror and saw this man worth Calvary. But somehow he saw beyond all of who we are and saw what he could make of us. And he said, they're worth it. They're worth it. Amen. God is here tonight. I feel a precious, precious spirit of the Lord. I won't keep you standing with uh, remarks irrelevant to what I want to preach tonight. I feel as though I have the direction of the Lord. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, amen. Thank you, Pastor uh, Boyd, so much for more than what I could refer to right now, if time would allow it, but your friendship through the years, and uh, you could have called anybody to come preach a few nights for you, but I want to pour my heart out to this, to this church, amen. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 6, Jesus says here, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn again and rend you. To give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Savior, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for these songs of Zion that you have received tonight because we have felt your presence. For every soul that is in this place, O oh God, we commit them unto you in prayer. I'm asking that you would hold us nigh unto you. Make us better people for your kingdom. And we'll be careful to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And everyone said amen. You can be seated. God bless you all. There is something so remarkable about the word of the Lord a few months ago. Uh, maybe even a year or so ago, and if I said that last time I was here, uh, what I'm about to say, just just pardon it, if you will, or maybe re reestablish something in your life. But there was something that the Lord showed to me so um, so fresh and so new, something that we had read so much from the writing of the Apostle Paul, as he was addressing the young ministers of the Church of Corinth telling them about the workings of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and laying hands on the sick and casting out devils. And he said, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel in the edifying of the church. So we want to see the miraculous and we want to see the lame walk and we want to see those that are sick recovered. And I believe God can do that. I want to be first in line believing that God can do that. 
But my job as a preacher, first and foremost, according to Paul's writing, was to seek that I might excel in edifying the church. The word edify means to improve upon how one thinks or acts. So if at the end of these meetings, and tonight in particular, if I can improve your life, if I can improve how you think, if for some reason you have become bitter against God, if the Word of God can improve that thought, if for some reason that you have lent your life to licentious ways of the world and carnal ways of the world, if the Word of God can improve you tonight, then I've done my job. I want the Holy Ghost, and by the constraint of his spirit, if somehow God can just let his word sink into your spirit and grip you so strongly that you can't leave this building but what you have sought God tonight. Amen. I want to use for a subject from my scripture writing in verse number 6 uh, a thought very simply that God had, uh, this, this just a very simple thought the Lord has given to me about precious pearls or jaded jewels, precious pearls, or jaded jewels. Now, before I go any farther, if the word jaded is unfamiliar to you, it just simply means a lack of interest or excitement because one has done something so much and you lose interest in it. That's all it means. You can look it up, a very simple word, jaded. It can be a precious pearl to us or this jewel can become so jaded until we shelve it and it just doesn't mean what it used to mean to us there was a time when men individuals not just men collectively but individuals they would have taken a bullet for this word they would have like the apostles laid down their lives and hazarded their lives for the word of God but we're living in an hour, and the more I travel and the more that I talk to others in the kingdom, other in ministry, I find where those that once held the principles and doctrine of Christ so close to their heart now have allowed and permitted other things to come in and replace those precious pearls in their life, and it has become a jaded jewel. That worship used to be paramount, and praise used to be so important that nothing but nothing would take that place. But now it seems like so many frivolous and trivial things come into their lives and, and replace the house of God and replace the word of God and replace their prayer and praise unto the Lord of heaven. It was a prophecy that went out many years ago. If you've read anything about the Azusa Street experience early in the 1900s, that there was a prophecy, and you can take this for what it's worth tonight, but we're seeing it play out, so I'm inclined to lend credence to what was said. Amen. One of the prophecies that went out during those meetings was this, that in the latter days that men would praise a God they no longer prayed to. It is very alarming, and it sinks down deep into my spirit, and it makes me want to find a place somewhere even now and seek the face of the Lord, understanding the importance of that relationship with God. Elder men of God, I have heard them many times say that they would rather pray than study because they understood, not dismissing study, but but somehow prioritizing their preparation for what they were about to do in that sacred desk. 
because they understood that prayer would place them into that nail-scarred hand to become a vessel and a tool that God would use for the kingdom. Amen. That somehow that he would put the words to say into them of things that they had already read. He said that it would bring to remembrance those truths of the Bible and those revelations and the uncovering of the Word of God and bring that back out in the needed hour. But that was only going to happen after they had prayed. That in my ordination after my wife and I were married, I had preached several years prior to my marriage, but somehow my pastor felt like that it was necessary to wait until marriage and and finding a wife, a helpmate before being ordained, and I was fine with that. But upon that ordination, an old elder who's passed on, he stood before us that day in a congregation just like this and set us down in a couple of chairs, and he charged us with the responsibility of preaching the gospel. And Bishop Upton told me, Brother Boyd, he said, Before you talk to men about God, son, you must first talk to God about men. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight so heavy upon us that it was Jesus who warned us that except the days be shortened, he said that no flesh would be saved, that men would run to and fro and knowledge would increase, Daniel prophesied of the last day, that somehow men have laid down the word of God and the truth of God that was going to get them from earth to eternity upon that surely appointed time of their life when God would require of them the soul that lived in them, that somehow God would say it is time that only he would know in what we thought was a premature life. Having been given up so soon, God said it was in his perfect timing. But tonight, my friend, whether we live a short life or an aged life, there is one thing that is certain for all of us, and that is that appointed time when God will call us home. It's going to make a difference what we believed. It's going to make a difference on what we've heard and what we practice and the principles that we held so dear as precious pearls in our life. When we read the preaching and admonition and caveat here of the Lord, we see that Jesus is saying to not only that generation, but generations that were subsequent to that generation that would bring us to the 21st century. And he would say unto them, Don't give that which is holy unto the dogs. That every reference that I read about verse number 6, that every reference would place some uh, emphasis upon the dogs and the hogs of the day. But tonight my spirit was not going to the hogs and the swine, the swine and the dogs, but my spirit was being led to the contributor of what the hogs would receive and what the dogs would tear and rend. It was not so much upon the unkosher animals of the day because the dogs and the swine, certainly we are all of the understanding that those animals were not kosher. They were not deemed holy by the Mosaic law that God had given to him. 
They were not to be used for sacrifice. They were not to be placed upon the altar that we would, as men of the day, would bring unto the Lord and lay them on the burnt offering upon the sacrifice. Whether that offering was for sin, for trespass, whether it was an offering of dedicating land or houses, whether it was simply an offering of praise. It was a ram, a lamb, a turtle dove, a pigeon, a he goat, but it was never a dog and it was never swine because God said that they were unholy but when we read the preaching of Jesus we see that God is saying to us to give not which was holy unto the dogs meaning that what we did bring unto the Lord and put on the altar that ram or lamb or whatever holy animal that it was that the need required of the moment He said, don't go to the altar and take the ram off of the altar and take it over here and give it to the dogs. Don't take what you have already offered unto God and remove it and take it back and retract it from the Lord and then cast it back out to that which is unholy. It was an altar that had already been built. It was an altar that had already had blood shed for it. It already had a purpose. It already had a reason because between the creator and the creation there was a covenant that had been implemented and that was to bring a holy animal unto the Lord. But could you imagine a man that had brought his ram unto God putting it on the altar or perhaps watching the priest that it was given to him that he would cut its throat and would tie it to the horns of the altar build a fire around it and begin to offer for it unto the Lord as a sweet smelling savor. My mind stood there and somehow took my body there and I had this epiphany if you will of seeing a man watch his sacrifice on the altar and what God had already told to Moses to tell the people it would become a sweet smelling savor unto me. It begs the question in my mind that how could an animal that was burning smell good to anybody how could the flesh and the fat and the entrails and the hair and all those things that went along with the sacrifice smell good to anybody it represented sin it represented a transgression it represented something that God thought was abominable but only until it was on the altar did it smell good to God When it was committed, it stunk. Whenever it was condoned, it stunk. When it was hidden, it stunk. When it was justified, it stunk before God. But when it was put on the altar, God said, it was a sweet smell to me. How can a man, brother boy, take that which God thought smelt good to him and cast it to the dogs? See, there's so much that's wrapped up in verse 6. To give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Don't take that which you have committed unto God. That structure between you and the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to take that which was binding your relationship with him, and to pull it out, my friend, that's the only thing that glues you and God. 
I'm not preaching about the blood of a ram tonight. I'm not talking about the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean. I'm talking about this man went into the holy place one time, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who had trodden underfoot the Son of Man and done despite unto the Spirit of grace wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. If they died by only two witnesses without any mercy whatsoever, stoned or crucified or whatever the case was, if only two witnesses could sentence a man to death, how much more the New Testament is saying to us if we were to count the blood of the covenant an unholy thing, if we were to take that which we have already given to God and pull it off of our altar and throw it back to the world. Can I be very plain to us tonight? If you have received the Holy Ghost, you better endeavor to maintain the Holy Ghost. If you have sought truth and God has uncovered truth to you, you better not allow anything to come into your life and embrace any other doctrine. I want to preach to us tonight and edify us and let you know that this is the most precious thing that you'll ever have hold of. I have staked my eternity on what I'm preaching tonight. I believe what I'm preaching tonight. I'm not a sham or a show or out here as an occupation. I have had a call from God. I was just a little boy that was playing in the street and God said, I want you to come visit me. I'm not in this because I have a long pedigree in Pentecost. I'm in this because the Holy Ghost was revealed to me. Brother Boyd, it was, it was because of a man who had given himself for the sake of the cross and sired me in the gospel when he preached to me, son, you need God so desperately. I don't know if he knew how badly I needed God. But as I put my forehead on the pew in front of me, I knew how desperate I was for God. Hell has given plenty of opportunity, not only to me, but I'm sure to all of you, to cash it in. To cash it in to take your sacrifice that was so precious and so dear to you and cash it in. Do you know why that Jesus went to the temple and he turned the the tables of the money changers over and he ran them all out with a whip, even all of the animals. He ran them all out. It's because the Pharisees of the day had reduced their sacrifice to a mere exchange, a bartering system. To just a minute or two, they could come and give money and would be issued a goat and take it here and give it to the priest. But Jesus said, he said to them, you have made my house a den of thieves. Because the priesthood of the day would rob the people of their sacrifice. He would rob them 
of the months that preceded that day of atonement. The day when that ram would eat with his daughters. When he would watch his children pet that ram and lamb or whatever the case was. And play with that lamb out in the yard. Only until the appointed time when it was of the right size to harness it around its snoot in its neck. And, and I can picture them saying, Daddy, where are you going with my lamb? Where are you going? And it was something in the heart of a daddy that was ripping it out. And off to the temple they would go and give it to the priest. And according to the Old Testament, that the priest would take it and lay it upon the altar and give it to God. And the whole family would go home weeping because what was dear to them had just been given to God. But not so in the day of the priest. Not so in the days of Jesus. He said that my house was a house of prayer. It was a house that meant something. It was a house that had feeling. It was a house of purity. And you have taken it and reduced it to a mere bartering of buying bread. Changing it in for a little bit of silver. Changing it in. That they had taken a precious pearl and made a jaded jewel out of it. Take those pearls, throw them in the swine pen. And what do you think the hogs will do? Exactly what Jesus said they would do in verse 6. He said that he would trample them underfoot. If it wasn't something to eat, he had no regard for it. If it wasn't something that benefited them, he had no regard for it. Humanity has been reduced to that. That when the church stops benefiting them, they've got no need for the pearl. When the preacher ceases to be a benefit to their house, then they've got no need for the man of God. Am I preaching truth to us tonight? That there was something about the man of God that he intended to be so pure. That he intended to be so thorough with what he had made out of him. You see, it was in the tabernacle of the day that the snuffers God mandated to be pure gold. What was a snuffer, preacher? A snuffer was because God required the lamps to burn perpetually. They were intended by God to burn nonstop. Therefore, the priest would maintain the oil in the lamp. And subsequently, he would also trim the wick. And the snuffer was a tool that had one end that could either snuff it out, as its name implies, or the other end was a scissor-like appendage on it that could just keep the wick trimmed. And he said the snuffer was supposed to be pure gold. If I'm going to have a man of God in my life that's going to snip my wick when I need it, to keep me from smutting up the room and soiling the congregation of the righteous. If he's going to keep my wick snipped, he can't be gold-plated. He can't have a facade of gold. He's got to be pure. He's got to hold it as a precious pearl to him. What a blessed congregation that you all are. I have spent much time with your pastor over the last several years. And what you see here is a pure man. He's a man that's not gold-plated, but he's pure. And if he decides your wick needs trimming, let the stuffer in the tabernacle trim your wick. 
because he considers you to be a precious pearl because God considered you to be a precious pearl. Brother Boyd, it's so sad when the day comes when God moves, and I think the time is rare, the occasion is very rare when God moves upon a pastor and says, snuff that one out. I've removed my mercy. I've contended with them as long as I'm going to contend with them. Preacher, that's not what grace is. I beg to differ. The Bible warns us about frustrating the grace of God. And I've already rehearsed the scripture to us tonight that how much more sore punishment shall he be thought worthy who had trodden underfoot the Son of Man. If we take this pearl that has become so precious to the people of God throughout the generations and allowed it to become jaded to us where we lose our interest and we lose our excitement, my friend, then we are in danger of losing the mercy and the grace of God oh Lord give not that which is holy unto the dogs neither cast ye your pearl before the swine how how oft it is that we come back to this and we rely on this time and time and time again it's what keeps us toeing the line it's what keeps a man or a woman that is fighting things in their life and in, in the fear and the reverence for his house and his word and his presence and the fear of losing and as Cain said, cast me not from thy holy presence for it would be a punishment greater than I could bear. And they understand that and because they understand that, they give even the more earnest heed to the things that they had heard lest at any time it slipped through their fingers. I am amazed at how a person can come into the church and leave the church and with no shalot whatsoever, just in and out and in and out and in and out. Pray through and weep in the altar on Sunday and two weeks later, back in the world and a month later, back in the altar and six months later, back out in the world and over and the cycle never ends. It just becomes perpetual. It's in and out and in and out and in and out. Amazed at that. Scripture tells us in the Gospel of John of the revelation that Jesus was giving to his disciples. The Scripture said that Judas, not Iscariot, Judas, says unto Christ, and something that was very intriguing to me is one of those things that you've read a thousand times, just read again, and there it is. Jesus answered him and said, when, he, when Judas asked him, rather, Judas not as scared, he asked him and said, Lord, how will you manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? How is that going to happen? How are you going to reveal unto us when you teach publicly who you are? You tell everybody you're the Messiah. You tell everybody you're the one fulfilling over 300 prophecies of the Old Testament. And you, you, you let people see you raise the dead and you let them see you walk on water. And the report of your ability to do these miraculous things has been spread abroad. But... How are you just going to reveal yourself unto us? Why come everyone else doesn't have this revelation? Pretty amazing, isn't it? When you, you, you would think, and, and I can remember in, in my teenage years when this began to be revealed to me, I thought, dear God, how is it that the men who have spoken to us from pulpits in my raising never saw that God was in Christ? 
How is it when I begin to read the scripture and God was revealing to a teenage boy about Jesus' name baptism, how is it that men who have graduated theological seminary could not teach us that? How are you going to reveal this truth to me and not reveal it to the world? It wasn't because I had some elevated IQ that was impressive to anybody. Lord knows that wasn't the case. My teachers can tell you that wasn't the case. It was just of a hunger that when I found the Word of God, I couldn't put it down. I put it on my steering wheel, and it's not recommended, but I would drive and I would read it. I would miss classes in college and I would read it. And my roommate thought I was a nerd because I could read it and I couldn't put it down. I was so thirsty for what had never been told to me. How? How? Are you going to reveal this truth to us and not to the world? Jesus answers it in just a couple of verses later. As a matter of fact, four verses, Jesus said, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've told you. The Holy Ghost is going to be the determining factor of this being a precious pearl to you or a jaded jewel. You want to know why this 17-year-old kid could understand it? And the preacher that had talked to us that was much aged than me is because of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 18, toward the end of the chapter, the scripture tells us about a man named Apollos who come to Ephesus. And the Bible said he was an eloquent man and that he was mighty in scriptures. He knew how to articulate the word of God. He knew how to dress impeccably. He knew how to stand up straight and conduct himself in public. I like that. I like to see that. But there was something missing about him because the scripture said in chapter 18 that all he knew was the baptism of John. And the chapter ends and opens chapter 19. And while Apollos had left Ephesus and went to Corinth, the Bible said that while Apollos was at Corinth, God sends a preacher to Ephesus. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast of Ephesus, finding certain disciples and saying unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, We've not heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said, Under then what you were, you baptized. And they said, Under John's baptism. And Paul rebaptized them in the name of Jesus, the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And they received the Holy Ghost and prophesied. And the Bible said, Many miracles were wrought by the hands of Paul. That all they knew was all that Apollos knew. Apollos couldn't help them because all Apollos knew, they already knew. But when a man come by with a deciding factor called the Holy Ghost, it's unquantifiable, it's undeniable, it's unexplainable, it's inexplicable. I can't explain to you how it works, but I can tell you it'll make a man take the jaded jewel in his life and say, this is precious to me. I'll give my life, I'll give my blood, and I'll stake the eternity of my children on it. 
Brother Gibson, what Apollos couldn't do in all of his eloquence, in all of his ability to articulate the Word of God, in all of what he knew about the baptism of John, and what he couldn't do, a man that came into town that had the Holy Ghost, was raising the dead, and casting out devils, and baptizing men, and praying them through to the Holy Ghost, and turning the world upside down. (laughs) <laughs> oh, brother boy. Brother Boyd, you want to know? You want to know why I, a man that was uneducated, a man that was called into the church as just a teenager, why well, I can see a vex that the man who allowed me to kneel by his desk and accept Christ as my personal Savior could never see. It's because it was the difference of Apollos and Paul. Was he articulate? Absolutely. Was he dressed impeccably? Absolutely. Was he eloquent? Absolutely. Was he first in the scripture? Absolutely. Was he born of the spirit? No, sir. (laughs) But that night on a Saturday night, (laughs) in in a youth service, when I came here and my pastor put his arm around my, And God filled me with his spirit. The wind of Pentecost blew into my life. And I read it in Acts chapter 2. And that was the difference. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost speaking to somebody tonight. I'm I'm about done. Why don't you stay with me? My mind was reflectional back upon those days in the denominational church. I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I'm not saying disparaging things about them. I would to God they could feel what I felt. That's one of the reasons why I do what I do. Because I want them to feel what I felt and know what I know in the way that I know him. We misquote the scripture so often where Paul said that I may know him and we quote it and we say it in the power of the Holy Ghost and in the fellowship of his service. It's not it. That's not that it says. He says that I may know him, comma, and the fellowship of his suffering, comma, and the power of his resurrection. Brother Gibson, if I don't first know him, I will certainly not want to know the fellowship of his suffering. This comes in order. And if I don't know the fellowship of his suffering, then I can never know the power of his resurrection. Don't you want to know him tonight? Don't you want to know who he is? I'm just telling you about a personal experience. Don't take that which you have laid on the altar. Take it out of this building tonight and throw it to the dogs. It was a clear warning from Jesus himself. And now over 2,000 years later, he has called a little ignorant preacher to come before you and give to you the same warning he gave to his generation. Don't take that which you have laid upon the altar to God. In particular, yourself, your living sacrifice. Some of you have made commitments. I'm going to speak in the Holy Ghost. A couple of you have made commitments already in your life that you've not managed to keep. You hear me this evening. 
God has given to you an opportunity to keep that which you have vowed unto him. This wasn't written down and it wasn't rehearsed and it wasn't planned out. This is completely impromptu. Unctioning by the Holy Ghost, you've made a commitment that God is saying you need to keep it. You told God you'd live for him. In the privacy of your prayer, you made a deal with God. You built an altar and you put your sacrifice on it. And at some point, you pulled your sacrifice back off. And it's become a jaded jewel. It's a loss of interest. It doesn't hold the excitement it used to have. Why don't you let God put it back tonight? Would you do that? Sir, why don't you let God put the zeal back in your spirit tonight? Put the determination back in your heart that you are going to commit all of your days to him. Irregardless if your spouse does or not, you've got to. I know you'd probably like for your children to follow you to the altar, but they're not here. Why don't you come and God will work out all the particulars later on. Why don't you come? Oh, God. Help us keep, help us keep what we vowed. Help us keep what we vowed, oh God. Give us the strength to keep that what we vowed to you. God said, God said it was a danger in making a vow and failing to pay it. Oh, God, let your mercies flow over us. Let the Holy Ghost come over us tonight. God, we thank you for the holiness of your spirit we feel in this house. God, that you have looked upon these lives and you have saw us. You saw us as precious pearls. And this great truth that you have uncovered to us. God, we in turn give appreciation to you in this service tonight. God, tomorrow we will hold it even more dear to us. This service tonight, God, will do nothing but put more endearment in our heart toward your truth. Oh, God. This is the comforter tonight. This is the comforter. This is the Holy Ghost. That will teach you all things. It will reveal all things to you that you need to know to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. 
Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family. 